what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church, find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Seth Atzma. So, Seth, why don't you just kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and what church you're at. All right. My name is Seth Atzma. I'm the pastor of Chandler Reformed Church in Chandler, Minnesota. I am actually ordained in the Christian Reformed Church on loan to the Reformed Church. Uh, For those who don't know where Chandler is, we're in the southwest corner of Minnesota. It's a small town, less than 300 people, but we have a CRC church and an RCA church. Uh, Both are over 100 years and uh, even though they're all related to each other, there's a... (laughs) A lot of, lot of old habits that uh, are rolling forward. So that's where we're at here in Chandler. It's just a small rural town. A lot of co- uh, corn and soybeans and, of course, pigs and all of that. I actually grew up on the West Coast. I grew up on a dairy farm outside of Mount Angel, Oregon. Grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. I learned catechism, uh, as many of us uh, did growing up in the CRC Church. And as a... Uh, you know, as a young man, I, I really liked learning. I liked having that uh, understanding of scripture and how to interpret it. Um, but I'm most thankful for my my grandparents. Um, I actually have a picture of my grandfather on the wall right right in front of me as a reminder of what I would say is would be the first uh, lessons in theology I learned from my family. So this one thing to know the catechism, it's one thing to, you know, be able to say the Lord's prayer and the 10 commandments. Um, but it, until that comes down into your heart, it's just, it, it's, yeah. uh, it's just words. Um, so 
kind of fast forwarding through my life a little bit here. Uh, grew up in the CRC church, went to Dort, met a wonderful young woman who somehow decided that I would be a good husband. So we got married as uh, the story as old as time and ended up in the Navy. And it was, uh, is in the Navy where I'd actually had to start putting all of that, all of my, the, the lessons I learned in my head and put it into practice. It's like, okay, now, now if, am I going to do it or am I going to do something else? Am I going to actually walk the walk? <laughs> Cause I've been talking the talk of my entire life. And that's where, you know, when you're in an engine room by yourself at one o'clock in the morning, uh, and you just kind of start singing the doxology, and then it's like, oh wow, that that, that. now I know why this song is powerful, mm-hmm. why it's mm-hmm. been lasted and, and so long and passed down from generation to generation. So, um, but yeah, uh, great. So, what was your transition from the Navy then into ministry? Yep. So, as a little boy, um, Many people will say, oh, you'd make a good pastor someday. In fact, my grandma, uh, not the, my Oregon grandma, but the one who lived in Iowa, whenever I'd go visit, she'd always pat me on the back and say, you'd make a good pastor someday. I'm like, grandma, I don't want anything to, to do with being a pastor. Uh, at the, you know, as a young boy, I just kind of looked at it as like, ah, man, you get up there and you talk for an hour on Sunday, public speaking, that's that's kind of boring. I want to I be like Indiana Jones or you know, Scotty or Geordie LaForge and, you know, be science and engineering and exciting stuff. Um, but in the Navy, like I said, when it started learning the importance of being part of a church family, hmm. grew up, you know, our family, wonderful family, tight knit. We took care of each other. But then I'm in the Navy, suddenly I'm, I don't have my family around me. Uh, nearest family is three hours away. And, and, you know, if you got a problem, they just, they're not five minutes away. The, the way it was when I was growing up. And then it's like, but your church family's there. And when I was on deployment and my wife was home alone with our daughter and something went wrong, well, what is she going to do? Well, she calls up the church, talks to them, uh, asks for help from our pastor. And um, so those life lessons where your understanding of your ecclesiology of course, I wasn't using words like ecclesiology at the time, but just your <laughs> assumptions about how things happen um, really become like, oh, this is why it is. This is why things are set up the way they are. Now it makes sense. Now I can understand just the, the depth and breadth and love of the church. And the church has that love because of the love of Jesus given to us. And so during that years my appreciation for the role of pastor just grew immensely and from so it went from no i don't want to do that looks boring i don't want to do it to no that is really hard i i can't do that people drama mm-mm. you know give me give me a nuclear reactor to work on nuclear reactors are simple the human heart is complex <laughs> i don't no thank you uh but then, you know, eventually got out of the Navy, got a job um, just a few hours away, moved back to Oregon. And a few years after that, uh, the pastor, Pastor Dave Snapper is his name. He retired. And so we went up for his retirement celebration, you know, reconnected with some good friends and uh, 
thanked God for his ministry and driving home. It's like 11 o'clock on driving south on the I-5. And I feel a tapping on my shoulder and I'm told it's time you're ready. And I knew exactly what it meant. So my wife, she's kind of nodding off beside me in the passenger seat and our daughter's asleep in the back. And I, and I kind of wake up my wife and say, hey, honey, uh, what do you think about me joining the ministry? And she looked at me and said, oh, I was wondering when you're going to do that. And then she passes out right to sleep. <laughs> to this day, she doesn't remember this conversation. It's like, I don't remember that. And it's like, but I do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> quite vividly. <laughs> um, so, but even, you know, okay. So I joke, God sent me in the Navy to teach me how to follow orders. Like, okay, I, I got, I got the orders. I better, I better follow up on this. And so a lot of praying, a lot of talking with trusted mentors and family, but I didn't really commit until uh, later that year um, around Memorial Day, no, Veterans Day. There was a 98-year-old World War II veteran at our church, and being 98 years old, he couldn't really get out of the house. Uh, his ministry is that he would make cards for patients at VA hospitals, and he wanted the members of the church to sign it. So it's not just one person, but have the entire church being signing cards. But he was too old. He couldn't get out of the house and go and ask for volunteers. So being a a, a veteran from one veteran to another, he volunteered me to do it for him. So awesome. as I'm getting talking to our congregation, asking them to sign cards, I'm, I'm trying to help them understand um, like, yeah, being in the hospital is tough, but being in the hospital when you're far away from family, that's a whole nother layer of tough. Mm -hmm. And, and if you don't, and if you don't know, you don't know, but you know, take it from this veteran, just a little card goes a long way to let people know that they're not forgotten. Somebody cares about them. And that even if they are, you know, on the other side of the country from their friends and family, there's still someone here that appreciates them. And then that's like that little kind of clicked in my back of my head. It's like, Oh, you know, I have this eight years of life experience that helps me understand and minister to a group of people. And then my understanding kind of went beyond that. Like, okay. Yeah. Not just act like being a minister for veterans, but they have families. They they have relations that deal with a lot of military troubles. And no matter where you go, it's, it's not like you have to be in a military town. You're going to find veterans all over the place. So uh, that was the kind of this one. God kind of opened up that door in, in my mind. That okay, yes, I have been equipped to go do this. I can trust what the Spirit has been doing with my life. Um. So that's how. Yeah. Okay. Better. Better go. <laughs> go sign up for a seminary somewhere. Better figure out how to get ordained and start following this path. It's been it's been quite the journey. I'm still learning every step of the way, every day. Um, it's kind of embarrassing how I have to relearn some lessons from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, but each each time your your faith grows a little stronger, your spirit rises a little higher. And even though I kind of see it as kind of a spiral staircase. So even though you like you feel like oh, I'm I've already done this ground, but you know you're a floor up than last time. You're you you are making progress, even if it's the same lesson you're learning. You're learning it at a deeper level or higher, depending on how you want to view it. 
so yeah, that in a nutshell is a little bit of my life and ministry journey and how I got here. Oh, by the way, uh, every every time people in the CRC church get together, you have to do a little Dutch bingo, of course. <laughs> so your previous, um, or I actually, uh, uh, my so my father's cousin son is Stuart DeYoung. Ah, so, uh, I, so what, yeah, what, two, two guests ago. Yep. So that's, there's a little Dutch bingo connection right there for, uh, this messy reformation podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) We are seeing CRC and Dutch all the way through that. We're even doing Dutch bingo on the podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we do that a lot actually off the podcast that ends up happening quite regularly. (laughs) Um, one of the things you had mentioned, um, kind of struck me and I came across it in my devotions and and I've been talking about it quite a bit. I actually read this passage on the synod floor a few years ago uh, because people were talking about, well, doesn't this seem redundant and, you know, or whatever, but um, most of the Bible is actually redundant. That's not to like take it down a notch, but it's redundant over and over and over again, showing that God's people need to be reminded of things. Mm-hmm. And 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 in um, Second Peter, which also has an issue of redundancy, doesn't it? Um, he says this, uh, chapter one, verse twelve. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon and our Lord Jesus made it clear and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things, (laughs) right? And so Peter is saying, yeah, you know these things in some way, but but I'm going to keep reminding you over and over and over and over again, Um, not only, and that kind of goes back to something that you mentioned before, you know, we get this, the catechism, we can get it up here in our head and we can have a head knowledge. Some people talk about a heart knowledge, you know, there, there's some kind of, I, I understand that distinction. I think it's important. We want to get, make, make sure those things are connected to one another. We don't want to emphasize one over the other either, but, but, but Peter's saying, I'm going to keep reminding this to you so that for one, you can always recall this information whenever you need it. It, it just you just need to keep it being pounded in. But also, as I keep reminding you, I'm going to stir you up. Right? It's going to like get into your heart. It's going to kind of light you on fire. And so, it's something I think we need to never be ashamed of as pastors to just keep preaching the same things over and over and over again. Maybe be creative in doing it, but reminding people over and over of the gospel their salvation, Mm -hmm. God's transformation in their lives, you know, all of these things just got to keep coming back over and over and over again. Yeah, I believe it was Luther who said, I need daily reminders of the gospel because I forget it daily. Mm -hmm. Um, The the, the enemy does not sleep and slumber, always trying to snatch the gospel from our hearts. So thankfully God does not slumber either and watches over us and protects us. But yeah, it's you know, from the Belgic Confession, the marks of the church, you know, the, the word sacrament and church discipline, uh, you talk about discipleship for quite a bit. We, we yeah. are easy to have a too narrow view of what discipline is. And it's, no, it's not about, you know, wagging your finger at people, but it's that constant daily practice of doing it again and again. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Is there's a reason why Paul uses sports analogy all the time. You know, you look at these professional athletes, they're constantly practicing, constantly study. You know, if that's the dedication they have to basketball or football, I mean, it kind of puts us Christians to shame of just how <laughs> dedicated they are for worldly wealth and worldly glory. But we're not really like, oh, man, praying five minutes a day. That's such a long time. I can't read the Bible in the year. That's impossible. <laughs> Yeah. So yes, you can just go and do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, I think we talked about this. I don't know how long ago, but, but I just haven't let go of it. I was listening to, uh, and I forget the guy and I forget where I heard it. So I can't point anybody there, but I was listening to someone who was a world renowned coach of Olympic athletes. This is what he's been doing for a long time. And somebody had said like, what's one of the things that distinguishes an Olympic level athlete, like world-class athlete from all other athletes. And his response was their ability to do boring, mundane tasks over and over and over again and be willing to do it because they know it's going to get them to where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though it's boring, even though they don't want to do it, they just keep doing it because they know it's going to get them there. And I think, boy, that is, I mean, I know people don't want to talk about it this way, but, but talking about like the spiritual disciplines, sometimes they're boring. Yeah. Um, but we keep doing these things and we don't want to settle for boring. I would say I would never want to settle for boring devotions. Um, but there are mornings I get up and I'm like, I don't feel like reading the Bible today. I've got a million things to do. You know, I don't feel like spending significant portion in prayer. Um, and you know, and so I don't want to do these things. And yet, um, I do them still. Because I know that God has told me, this is how I'm going to work in your life. Here's how I'm going to transform you. Here's how I'm, I'm going to give you food every day through these things. No matter how boring they are or whatever, we just keep doing those things and uh, trust that God works through them. And that's especially why we call them the ordinary means of grace. Uh, yeah. this, is, this is the way that God ordinarily works. Uh, and the best part about them is it's where he has promised he is going to work. Uh, he has put the power exactly where he's always put it, and that's in his word, which mm-hmm. will not return to him void. So we can trust in his promises. Amen. Amen. I just had that conversation with uh, someone at church yesterday. We had a visitor uh, come into our church, and and she came up to me after church. And, um, and I don't know much of her history yet, so I don't know any of her grounding. I just, she came up to me and she said, I have been visiting so many churches in the area trying to find a church. And this is the only church that preached the Bible. Mm. She said, I I mean, a lot of them, she said they maybe reference the Bible once and then go off and talk about other things or they kind of pull a verse out of context. But she was like, I felt like I was in a Bible study and my heart was on fire as we were going through this, this Bible passage. And she was saying, that's awesome. And I said, yeah, we believe that this is where God does his work, not through all of my flourishing and my pondering on things, but God works in his people through his word. That's how he equips the saints and mm-hmm. and and equips them for every good work, right? That's this is how God does it. So that's what I'm going to preach. And she was like, wow, I hadn't really heard that before. And so it was just kind of a reminder to this visitor and then also the people around me. We had a bunch of other people from our church, a reminder to them, like, this is why we preach the way we do. This is why our worship service is grounded on God's word. Yep. And yeah, every day, not just on Sunday, but every day you're having uh, those conversations with God 
And that's why we come to church uh, as a as a body to practice as a body how to say hello to God, how to hear Him welcome us, how to you know receive forgiveness and forgive in equal measure. Well, not in equal measure, but uh, hopefully you knew what I meant there. But anyway, you put it into practice, and then you go and do it. And if you're not uh, if you're not hearing the word in church, you're not going to be able to hear the word when you're you know on a Tuesday morning when you're late for work. Yeah. Amen. That's very true. I want to, I want to talk a little bit more. So you had mentioned that you were, uh, you're ordained in the CRC. Um, did you go through Calvin seminary that route? Yep. Uh, so, beginning. <laughs> I always end up doing things a little differently. So, uh, um, at the beginning I was trying to like figure out what kind of seminary to do. And I, I mean, I knew I was going to get ordained in the CRC, um, as I say, this is where God has planted me until, and until he moves me somewhere else, this is where I'm going to stay. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm like 35, I have a job. So being a 21st century American, that means you, you have to have a job. It's just how I was raised. So we talk about our head knowledge and heart knowledge. Well, that was, it was part of my heart knowledge is that I have to have a job. Hmm. You know, that it's been, God has been kind of plucking that weed out of my heart over the past couple of years. Um, so I wanted to do a local seminary, um, ended up going to George Fox Seminary, which comes from the Anabaptist tradition. So it was kind of eye-opening, like, oh, they also have biblical arguments for a lot of their positions. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can at least respect your position a lot more now, being, seeing how it's grounded in the Bible. But I only did that for a year because, uh, you know, when you're trying to do the EPMC program, I just added a lot more uh, burden onto my studies. And at the time, I was using the GI Bill to pay for it and uh, just kind of sit down, plotted it out, realized that, ooh, the GI Bill isn't going to cover all of this, so I need to kind of simplify. So I did a year in the EPMC program. I also did a year doing distance uh, at Calvin Seminary. But then for the final two years, I packed up my family, moved to Grand Rapids, and now I understand what they talk about, that West Michigan bubble, the Grand Rapids bubble. Like, oh, that's what you mean. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, now, now I get it. Um, but yeah, two years in, as residents there. So I kind of had the full experience of what it's like to be you know, going to a different seminary through the EPMC program, what the distance program was like, and being a resident as well. So I graduated from Calvin, Calvin Seminary, got ordained, and then installed here in Chandler. Okay. I want to, I want to poke at something you said there, um, that, uh, what, what was it about moving to Grand Rapids that made you go, Oh, that's what they mean by the Grand Rapids bubble. Like what were some of the things that you, you noticed or felt that made you think that? So I grew up in a town called Mount Angel. It was settled by Germans from Bavaria back in the 1880s, something like that. So I was like the only uh, Frisian, <laughs> Dutch. I was like, no, there was you were German, or um, there was something like a there was a Russian kind of colony. Uh, there were Russian Orthodox that fled from co- the communists, and uh, of course, at the time, growing up in rural areas, there's a lot of Latino immigrants coming in. But as, yeah, you're either yeah, but really, you're German, and I was like this token uh, Dutch Dutch kid. Anyway, so it was called Mount Angel. It was so, the town was so Catholic 
our public school was called St. Mary's. Hmm. So I went to St. Mary's grade school, uh, right across the street from a, a big uh, Catholic church. So I, I say I'm like the retort, uh, the token reformed kid in, in class. Um, so we had to go, when we went to church, it was like 45 minute drive on a Sunday. Hmm. That was where the nearest reformed church was at. So just happened to be CRC. So that's, Grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. So I go out to Grand Rapids, and the first thing I see is like, oh, there's like Christian Reformed churches everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in, I, I forget which town it was, there was like three CRC churches on a corner. So there was like an intersection, and three of the corners had a CRC church, and the, the church or in the corner that wasn't a church was the Christian school. So I was like, "Oh wow, this is this is unheard of for me." Uh, whereas, like, we're the classes Columbia, we're, what I'm part of, we spread across three states. Um, uh, I mean, if you want to get technical, it might even be four states from like a, just a little bit of Northern California, Oregon, Eastern Washington, a little bit of Idaho. Whereas out at you know, Grand Rapids is what four classes all right there. And that's not even talking about the other classes just in West Michigan. So uh, th- that density of CRC churches there, along with all the other different kind of reformed churches, um, this kind of creates a different mindset than what I, what I had growing up. I just kind of saw myself as, so in a sense, growing up, I had to learn how to be ecumenical. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly I, in class, I'm like I'm the only reformed kid here. We got we got Lutherans, we got Catholics, we got modern evangelicals, and then me, the reformed kid here, who actually knows scripture passages. Uh, it's kind of a slight anecdote. <laughs> I, uh, so is the the 80s. So again, very Catholic town at St. Mary's School. And I think two times a week, we'd have Bible class. So the Catholics would go to their Bible class, and the Protestants would go to their Bible class. And one year, I, I just like, I wonder what they're doing over in the Catholic side. So I wander over there, and uh, there is this wonderful little old s- s- nun who's like, oh, we got a new kid today. What's your name? I said, Seth. Did you know Seth is a character? In the- like, yeah, I know, <laughs> Doesn't everybody know this? <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, but in, in Grand Rapids, you can you can stick to your CRC bubble a lot easier. Mm-hmm. You don't have if you don't want to, you don't have to be ecumenical. And I kind of saw that in Grand Rapids, where like, okay, here's where the the Dutch people were hanging out, and here's where the Polish people were hanging out, and here's where. Uh, African American, and you just kind of see these little ghettos around Grand Rapids, and uh, and uh, and it really help makes you, in my my sense, makes you kind of insular, mm-hmm. where is like okay, here's us, and then the rest of the world. Maybe California has a special place, but uh, you kind of, yeah, kind of lose sight of just how how the congr- the denomination and classes are supposed to be working. And it's definitely the mindset of if it's not happening in Grand Rapids, then it isn't really happening. Mm. You know, kind of Seth to your ge- geographical point about Grand Rapids. Uh, this past year when I was at Senate, I was uh, driving around on Sunday with a friend. He was kind of giving me a tour of the area and he's from that area. 
And he's like, yeah, right now we're in class at Zealand and we drove down the road. And he said, and now we're in Granville and we drove down the road again. Now we're in Georgetown. And I'm like, this is such a an, an ecclesiastical culture shock for me because I said, do you have any idea how far I have to drive to be in a different classes in Lake Superior? <laughs> you got to drive hours before you hit another classes. Uh, so I, I do kind of hear what you're saying about the cluster of churches that are right there. So yeah. I, yeah, very good point. And to be fair, every, every area has its own bubble. It has its own mindset. So I'm not trying to single out Grand Rapids. Um, West coast churches have their own mindset. Midwest churches have their own mindset everywhere you go. There's going to be a kind of a bubble, but you should be aware of it yeah. and try to, um, yeah, not let it hinder you, but. Yeah. And that's been one of the conversations we've had a lot is that, um, I should be, well, I'm not going to be that careful, but I just, I felt like the bubble in Grand Rapids hasn't been recognized that there's kind of been a blindness there. And, uh, they just kind of, that, that insularness has almost kind of insulated them from the rest of the denomination in some degrees too. So where, when I'm talking to some of the, some of the members who've been in the the Grand Rapids bubble, it seems like we're in two different worlds or two different denominations where I'm saying, man, Mm -hmm. I'm talking to all these people and I'm hearing very different ways of engaging, ways of speaking about things, ways of understanding how our, what our denomination looks like. And, uh, and now you're in this bubble and you're saying, well, this is who our denomination is. And I'm going, boy, it doesn't seem like that to me outside of Grand Rapids. Right. And so that, that kind of insularness can kind of blind you. And like you said, there's, we all have that. And so it's important. I think the problem isn't necessarily like, here's how we think around Grand Rapids and here's how we think out there, but it's missing the understanding that there are CRC churches out across the United States and Canada that have a different way of seeing things and, and being able to recognize that and, uh, and make decisions accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that's in, in many ways, I, I would see that as the genius of the Presbyterian model where we are we distribute the authority and the power to the local churches to make the decisions that are best for them in their context um, yeah. but what but also recognizing that we're not just independent free to do our own thing we are part of a larger covenant and we need to come together um i think uh i think it was cs lewis was asked about you know would would he prefer congregational or parish churches and he talked about no i kind of see a a local parish church being better because it teaches you how to get along with people you disagree with Hmm. and and you know there is something to be said about learning how to get along with someone you disagree with um yeah some and you know maybe if the disagreement is big enough you decide to part ways i think there's a lot of good even biblical precedents for that mm-hmm. thing about Paul and Barnabas, um, you know, who was right uh, regarding Mark. In some ways they were both right. You know, Paul needed somebody who could, he could rely upon at that moment in time. And Mark was too young or too inexperienced to handle it. But Barnabas saw something worth, in, you know, Mark has something here. I'm going to invest him and build him up. And then it's, it's really easy to miss it, but I forget which letter, Paul has it. He writes about, oh, by the way, send Mark to me because he's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Said, Wait, wasn't this, this is the same guy that you wanted to leave behind and now you're writing to please send him. He's really helpful. And that's just kind of a, 
you know, a best case scenario of how disagreements can cause a parting among brothers, but it's the same spirit guiding us together. And, you know, if we keep the same, I keep our eyes on the same gospel, the same Jesus being filled with the same spirit. A lot of these differences we will see are actually being used providentially to further the kingdom. At least, like I said, that's the best case scenario. Um, it's kind of hard to see that analogy kind of being applied to something as, you know, human sexuality. But, um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's the trial of our day. And, you know, are we going to pass the test? Um, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. What are we willing to let go of in order to stay on that solid ground? Yeah. And that's the, the question for the church this today. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, one of the, I think what you pointed out was really important for us to remember too, is just, it sounds on, I don't know, unsexy, I guess, but, but just our church government structure is designed. It, it, it has provided a correction to some of the, the bubble, right? Like mm-hmm. the last few synods have kind of been where the, the broader denomination, when we gather together for synod, you have this broader representation and they were saying, and they said, Hey, no, this is not who we are as a denomination. I know some of you think this is who we are, but when the church has gathered, our our whole church, right, all the classes have gathered, we're saying this is not who we are, right? And so it has also, it has done a really good job, that government structure of providing that level of correction and saying, no, this is who we are as a denomination. And now, as you said, there's now that's causing some shaking because people are going, that's not who I thought we are, right? And so people are having to make some decisions, uh, whether they can be a part, can be with us or or not with us, uh, moving forward. And that's really going to be the story of 2024, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's important to note, you know, I hear a lot of criticisms about, oh, the you know, classist structure doesn't work. We need to be more uh, fluid and agile. And I remind people, it it, it doesn't work because we weren't using it. Amen. The tools that we had that were passed down, that were battle tested, you know, think about the various centuries and, and cataclysms the, the, the church has survived and been given to us. Uh, who are we just, uh, eh, it, eh, it doesn't work anymore. We're going to do something completely different now. Um, yeah. No, it, it didn't work because we weren't actually doing the business of the church. We weren't using these tools. If we start getting back to basics um again using the sports analogy just the fundamentals if you want to make your free throw you got to do it the same way each and every time you try to be innovated your 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 uh your stats are going to take a big hit you're not going to be as successful as you used to be so i am uh, encouraged to see in the crc kind of like hey we need to dust off these old tools we need to put them into practice again yeah um, yeah, I saw a quote uh, this week by G.K. Chesterton, and I don't remember where I saw it, but he had said, I'm very, w-, something like this. This is my my translation. So, I'm very weary of the reformer who removes a road barrier and says, I have no understanding of why this is here. He said, no, understand why the barrier is there before you attempt to remove it. Yep. And uh, that's one of the things that I think is really important for us Um as we start talking about the future of the CRC and restructures and all of that, um, I think we need to be careful. And, you know, I've been chairing uh, our classes renewal team 
for the last like three years here in Classes, Wisconsin. And uh, and one of the biggest things we realized uh, that needs to happen for us to have a renewed classes is for us to actually just function according to our rules of procedure. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that Amen. that all the that a bunch of people were saying, "Oh, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we're not doing that." And we start reading through our rules of procedure and say, "We're supposed to be, just we're, we haven't been doing it." Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's what we're seeing throughout the Christian Reformed Church too, right? So, Synod twenty twenty three instructed all classes uh, to bring airing office bearers into alignment with our, uh, you know, uh, understanding of human sexuality. And they said, um, use the church visitors to do that. And now as that has been told to different classes to do that, a bunch of classes have said, oh, we don't have church visitors. We haven't done that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh no, no wonder why we're not healthy because we're not we what I've noticed big time is that um you know we're functioning as a congregational denomination and not as a covenantal denomination. And that's mm-hmm. been slowly happening for a long time. And and uh we're gonna have to in order for us to be healthy, and I think in order for us to just continue to move forward effectively, we have to get back to our covenantal roots. Yeah. Uh, and yes, we still believe that the authority lies in the local congregation. I, I'm 100% there. And yet we still have made a covenant to work together as a classes and as a denomination. Um, not just hold each other accountable. That's a big part of it. But also work together and support one another and do ministry together. And if we're going to be healthy as a denomination, we have to get back to those roots. Yeah. Yeah. By way of analogy, I remember the first house that I bought, I noticed there was a little dry rot by the front door. And so I was, ah, just a little bit. I, I can, I can fix this pretty easily, but then you peel it back a little bit and you realize it's no, actually it's a lot more than just this one. It's actually a lot of boards and it's like, okay, well, it's, uh, this is too complicated for me. I better actually call somebody who knows what they're doing to come in here and fix the dry rot. And, you know, as soon as you start peeling back, you start finding problems and problems. So, mm-hmm. so in this little house, you know, yeah, it was dry rot, but then I noticed, but then we found out that, oh, the siding, you know, it's a hundred year old siding. It's also falling apart. It's basically uh, sawdust. Oh, and there's no insulation in your walls. <laughs> so what turned out to be just a little, little problem but I mean, I could have ignored it. I could have just like, ah, just put some, you know, some cock on it and they'll be fine. But if, but if I didn't actually start digging and realizing just how big a problem, I wouldn't have solved a lot of the other problems that were completely hidden to me. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's going to be messy. I, I feel like I, I've heard that somewhere, but it's going to be right. messy. But, uh, but if it's, it's better or rather the mess of cleaning up is going to be less messy than just letting it get worse that's all we have for this week if you want to help us out and support the messy reformation another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through substack that way you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox it will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast so head over to the messy reformation on substack and sign up for our newsletter now Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Seth Atzma. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. 
Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.